everybody. Today's a lot of fun. I have Frank Falco, well-known to the show, Scott Adelman. Scott's new. They're spinal interventionalists that uh, take it to another level. This is spinal decompression. We're going to talk about that. It's early November. We're at the Aquino Center in Las Vegas. And let me tell you, if you have a chance to do any of these uh, interventional workshops, um, you're going to have a, a fantastic experience. In fact, one of those experiences you're going to take away and uh, apply it to not only your practice, but to improving function, quality of life, patients, just existence. And, I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, that's why we get up in the morning. So uh, these two folks are going to lead us off. And then I did a couple of interviews actually in the lab. And the interviews include some uh, new uh, voices, faces, and are really fascinating. So I'm going to leave that to the end. I'll just transition right into it. But um, these guys got a lot to say, and this is the cutting edge of what we do and where we're headed. So um, these guys are, uh, are, are definitely worth a listen. So let's get to it. We're here in Las Vegas, and I have a return star, Frank Falco, and uh, an upcoming star with the American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians, Dr. Scott Adelman. Dr. Scott Adelman's from the Salt Lake City area. These are lumbar endoscopic spinal decompression experts, and that's what we're doing here. We're at the Aquino Center, which is one of the premier training centers in the country, to not only uh, interact on a peer-related basis where we have didactic sessions, but what's best for us and best for everybody, our listeners, and uh, best for the community in general, medicine and moving forward. Endoscopic spinal decompression is a huge option, underutilized but about to be um, hitting the scene uh, loud and hard. So tell us about yourself, Dr. Adelman. Well, first, thanks for taking the time to discuss uh, the technology and the techniques that are surrounding the endoscopic surgical arena. Uh, I've had a chance to be involved with this area of care since approximately 1999, and we've been doing this work in our area, serving our patients since that time. The history, if you will, uh, dating back to the mid-90s, really kind of focused on uh, an inside-out and a surgical approach that was very detailed and very much uh, targeted towards uh, a limited, if you will, amount of pathology. But since that time, we've seen it grow to an area where it's handling more and more pathology, more and more sophisticated issues and diagnoses. And it's really uh, now being supported by the American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians in a very robust teaching and training environment. So it's a long overview, but I would say uh, it is an honor and a privilege, really, to be part of the program here. Dr. Yeah. Falco. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good program. Frank's been on before. You know, Frank, um, as you know, patients and healthcare providers both from all walks listen to the show, and I, I get questions from everywhere. So it's not uniquely uh, in, uh, American medicine. This is something that's coming on the international scene. Your experience, Frank, you've done a lot of these. Um, what, what are you kind of seeing? What's your outcomes looking like? Well, I, I think as long as you um, 
evaluate the patient and uh, it makes sense for them to have this done, we, we, we would do this. I mean, we're doing this for uh, disc herniations, uh, but it's, it's far more than that. Uh, it's treating individuals who have degenerative changes like spinal stenosis, which we see a lot of every single day, um, uh, and uh, treating discogenic pain. So instead of getting a fusion, if you can isolate a disc or two, uh, there's a good chance that you can reduce their pain uh, to a level that allows them to be uh, functional and and uh, get back to doing a lot of the activities that they were doing before. So uh, I, I see that this is going to be um, a procedure that will be embraced and has been embraced by the people, by the patients, and uh, because because of the success that we uh, we, we are getting uh, with this with this procedure, Doctor Adamant, um, okay, I'm, I'm, to get everybody up to speed, we're doing a minimally invasive procedure, and what we're trying to do is give people options outside of the surgical arena when other conservative management just hasn't done it. So who's your ideal patient, your ideal avatar? Comes to your office, who is ideally suited for this procedure? The best patients come in typically with a progressive complaint of poorly managed nerve pain, pinched nerve, and radicular symptoms. The problem or the pathology that can be causing that is variable. In my history, we actually began a lot of this work on failed back surgery patients that develop post surgery complications with pinched nerves and were deemed non-surgical candidates or not a good candidate for a repeat significant open surgery. And of course, along that management cascade or continuum, they didn't want to progress to something where it was an extension of a fusion or a multi-level fusion, and the continued pain and suffering was a problem. So in the beginning, it was a really complex patient who had no option. We ended up really getting good at dealing with these failures to the point where a lot of our referrals, both from patient word of mouth as well as practitioners specifically, wanted to know if we could actually handle the patient before they had these surgeries or before we had these major interventions. So then our patient population over the last decade has shifted dramatically to where we typically see these patients now suffering from herniated discs and pathologies, and they've never had a surgery. And we are now getting a hold of them early on and offering a continuum of care that avoids much more elaborate, much more open, much more timely for recovery and costly for insurance to have those surgeries performed. It's a recovery. That's a big thing. Now, you said one thing that's really important over the past decade. So this isn't something new. This is an evolutionary evolutionary technique, one that uh, is uh, probably going to go through a couple iterations over the next uh, few years. But right now, walk me through um, for the providers, too, what, what we need to look for for a patient referral and what the referral... Uh, would be saying to their actual patient as an expectation, an option? Well, our referrals are historically come from primary care and previous 
surgical colleagues that suffered with the management of the patient's continued symptoms. Our referrals now, believe it or not, are coming from all areas of both medicine, some of the alternative medicine, such as chiropractic care, some of the alternative uh, practitioners who are doing integrative medicine, and of course, word of mouth, because the number of patients that have had this done is increasing significantly, and now they have family members that are complaining and being referred directly from a a previous family member patient of ours. So the ideal patient really is one that is suffering from back pain and leg pain, has a pinched nerve, has tried conservative care, has tried therapy, rest, over-the-counter medications, and now, as you know, and we all talk about the hot button, is trying to avoid unnecessary opioid management. So the ideal patient is catch it early, diagnose it well, and get it managed. That's exactly right. Frank, now, you're in a different part of the country. So I can tell you there's different entire countries within the United States. And I'm just going to say United States. There's the Northwest, where getting anything done is tough. Uh, There's the Northeast. I'm going to put you there. There's the South, which can be, you know, different variations as well. So you're part of the country. You have to contend with surgeons that may look like this is a little turfy, right? No, no, that is true. And um, th- there is uh, pushback from from the surgeons. But, you know, I look at it this way, um, and, and we've used this uh, example uh, in the past, that it, we're, we, are, we are the... Uh, cardiologists to the spine surgeons, okay? So um, we can do things minimally invasively uh, to help patients to avoid fusion. So uh, you reduce the, the number of fusions are, are, are being uh, performed because of the potential complications from that. Um, but it is, it is, it is a um, difficult uh, atmosphere uh, in, in that part of the, uh, the country. But I will say one thing that, um, Dr. Edelman has been the, uh, has been at the forefront of this technology, uh, for 20 years. Okay. And it's, uh, Scott and, uh, and others, um, that have brought this to the forefront and had to fight some really big battles in order to demonstrate the efficacy of uh, the minimally evasive um, uh, uh, procedure or surgery uh, called endoscopic, uh, you know, lumbar decompression. And uh, we're finally to see things moving in that direction. And, again, it's because of uh, um, um, doctors like Dr. Edelman who just really made this uh, happen. Yeah, from 30,000 feet. That was an excellent analogy. You know, I have to say that um, going through my career, I have seen cardiac surgery (laughs) as being the king, but emerging technologies, and you just said it, have dropped these surgeries dramatically, and now cardiologists are now doing things, getting people out of the hospital fast, good recoveries, and cheap. So saving lives, that's what it's all about. What we're trying to do is save function, quality of life, and Dr. Edelman knocked it yes. right out of the park by saying the opioid crisis is going gonna, is gonna to push us to these type of technologies. For the layperson, Dr. Edelman, tell us what we're doing when we, we go into the OR. 
Well, the procedure actually is done almost almost 100% as outpatient. There's no requirement for inpatient hospital stay. There's no downtime. A typical patient will be arriving at a surgery center or a hospital surgery center early in the morning, be pre-opt, checked in. The surgery itself for the average interventional requirement is approximately 30 to 45 minutes. Total time with the surgical care is approximately 90 minutes to 120. Their recovery is approximately 60 to 90 minutes. So on average, we educate our patients ahead of time that you'll be in in the morning, home in the early afternoon, and having dinner and watching the evening news or baseball game. And there's a lot of confusion with this procedure and laser spine surgery. What's the difference? Well, laser spine surgery is a catchy name, and the name itself obviously is, is, is a real um, eye-opener, if you will. But laser is a simple tool and is only one very, very small facet of the implementation of this surgical approach. In fact, laser is actually not even routinely used as part of the endoscopic surgical procedures that we're teaching and preaching today. So laser is a good energy source. It is one of the tools, but it is not the or biggest tool involved in these types of surgeries in my current practice. Patients are going to say, this is going to hurt, isn't it? What are you doing? You're sticking a tube in my back and taking something out. That's got to hurt. Most of the patients actually are done under general anesthesia in my practice. I've done them as part of a an approach where we do conscious sedation and they're anesthetized but they're sort of sleepy and awake it's been my experience now for many years that general general intubation if you will or general anesthesia is safer faster and less traumatic to the patient the procedure is much quicker the anesthesiologist is much happier and feels that the patient is incredibly safe and well controlled we will actually do the surgery under general anesthesia. We will use some local anesthetic for post-surgery management of the pain along with some very light pain medication. And it's not uncommon to send a patient home with mild pain medication and occasionally only an ice pack. You know, Frank, you said to me today that um, this is a very, very safe procedure. Elaborate on that. Well, you know, I, 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 I uh, totally agree with what Dr. Edelman just said. I do all my cases under general anesthesia as well uh, for all the same reasons that he outlined. Um, it's better for the patient. The patient wakes up. Um, they're, 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 they're walking, uh, you know, in 30 minutes, walking to, to go to the bathroom, and, and, and they, they don't limp anymore. They don't, they don't bend over anymore. Uh, so... Um, you know, it, 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 is, it is a great way to do that. And so, and, and the patient loves it because, you know, they, they wake up and they're comfortable and they're ready to go. Yeah. Dr. Edelman, okay, we're going to kind of wind up here uh, by you. You, in, you interject 20 years what you want to say about this procedure. You know, that's a huge um, background knowledge. It's a story. It's a backstory. It's not a script. It's something that you have felt and seen. So I guess what you're, you're not doing is selling it. You're telling us why we would want to consider this. So tell us what you would want to say about this procedure, both to the provider and to uh, the lay listener. Well, it, 
it is not unusual for most patients to still fear any type of spine surgery. Between some family member or someone they care about who's had a surgery that didn't go well, the stigma with spine surgery is still, don't do it. Unfortunately, some patients do wait too long or they don't get the correct management. So we're trying to educate patients that this is an an incredible alternative, if you will, or an incredible option in the continuum of care where you should seek this therapy and service and surgery early on. It should be part of an approach that completes a practice offering, if you will. When it comes to the payers and providers and the conversation around quality and costs, the value of this surgery is remarkable. The the ability to do it with less overhead, less expense, safer environments, less medication, less loss of of work, if you will, or downtime. Uh, It's an incredible value for not only just the patients, but also the facilities and the insurance companies that we serve. And Frank, you you pile on there. Yeah, the the the, um, uh, closing comment that I would make is that um, if a person has a a disc herniation and they have back pain and radiculopathy and they haven't uh, had a a good uh, uh, progression with with physical therapy, um, the last thing we want to do is to prolong that pain. We don't want it to go from acute to subcute to chronic. We want to avoid that. So. For, for those types of uh, patients that have the um, uh, that, that would be uh, uh, would, be, would be perfect for this procedure, and there are a lot of them out there, and we have to educate the the, the, the family physicians and the internal medicine doctors because then we can get them in sooner to do the procedure, get rid of their pain, and they don't get hooked on opioids. The thing about American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians is they're a broad brushstroke. We're doing the lumbar endoscopic spinal decompression sessions today and the weekend for regenerative medicine over the weekend. And um, we're also doing interventional pain training. We'll follow up with controlled substance management um, courses. So we're a soup to nuts organization. And um, Okay, do you have anything else you want to add about uh, uh, at, the, at the provider level or at the, um, at the consumer level? If there's just something that you, you could say to people, <laughs> think this first, think operating room, maybe second, third down the road uh, as traditional. Well, it's good to see that the payers now are starting to understand this technology and technique more and more. I can tell you I'm spending more of my time in good meetings educating not only payers but other providers and even third-party management organizations. So it will be part of the increased conversation on delivering quality health care at a better value, lower cost, and moving patients more quickly through the system with early recovery. Frank, anything? Close it up. Uh, uh, Dr. Edelman has says that perfectly here. I don't think there's anything else I can add to what he just said. Gentlemen, thanks for your time. Let's uh, do the right thing for our patients for the right reasons, and this is one of those things. Thanks again. Yeah, with me, distinguished faculty today. We're in Las Vegas at a keynote center, and uh, we're going to do podcast from the lab, the big... The big procedures and the fun procedures um, in this uh, lab lead us to better take care of our patients. So, tell us about yourself. I'm Dr. Doug Beal. I practice in Oklahoma City. 
I'm an interventional radiologist, really focused on pain management. And today we're denervating the hip and the knee. And the real key here is to denervate branches in the hip from the obturator and femoral nerve that give rise to the medial and lateral capsular branches. And we deactivate these nerves and give people durable relief of their pain. Usually lasts for about a year. In the knee, the latest study said it worked much better than intraarticular steroid injections. We denervate the superior and inferior genicular nerve, and we denervate a branch from the obturator nerve that goes to the supracapsular recess. And so we do this, and on the average, you get about a year of pain relief out of this. It works better than intraarticular steroid injections and lasts much longer. So people that have osteoarthritis, that are elderly or people that are predisposed due to injury or being overweight, uh, these are very popular procedures to keep people away from surgery even after they've had a replacement. For example, there are 15% of people with knee joint replacements that still have pain after the knee replacement. And people who don't want to have surgery, people who are trying to have too many comorbidities or risk factors to have surgery, these are all very viable procedures for them. Yeah, it's awesome. So uh, patient selection, you briefly touched on. And basically, if some people just can't have surgery, this is an incredibly good option. Uh, we hear about these uh, problems, labral tears, things like that. Um, and, you know, surgery is one direction and one vector, but this is really effective for this, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So we get patients that are trying to avoid surgery. They failed injection therapy. And just like anything else, there's a big wide range uh, of a gap between injections and a replacement. So this fills that gap. It's durable and it's minimally invasive, needle-based, non-surgical, and it's becoming very, very popular in my practice. So there's different technologies. Uh, when we talk about radio frequency, there's a technology called cooled RF, and that's what we're using here. Yeah, this is different from traditional RF. Traditional RF has an ellipsoid type of uh, denervation, ellipsoid type of burn because it does heat and it heats at 80 degrees for 90 seconds. This is cool RF, so it's 60 degrees for 2 minutes and 45 seconds and it has a more spherical burn. It also goes beyond the tip of the needle so you can directly target nerves end on, straight on and it will deactivate it because 40% of the lesion is beyond the distal tip of the needle. Yeah, and that's uh, you know, that's really great that we have another option but everybody wants to know and usually we're asked uh well what risk are we taking what are we doing burning nerves aren't we gonna mess stuff up right so if this deactivated people's motor nerves and they couldn't move their knee or hip it would be a tremendously unpopular procedure so essentially what we're doing is we're deactivating sensory nerves things that transmit pain it's kind of like doing away with things you don't really need like an appendix or a gallbladder so these are just sensory nerves they don't do anything functional except transmit pain so they don't do anything except something bad and we're trying to eliminate them doing that bad thing is transmitting pain we had a great lecture you did yesterday and we appreciate you coming out here to the Aquino center uh i know you got to get back to your station but uh any closing comments on this uh, procedure or something on the horizon this is increasing logarithmically this is uh, very popular there's so many people with knee arthritis and the most common way that people find out about this is just word of mouth and so this is a real testament to the need it's also a testament to how uh, ubiquitous the problem is and how popular needle-based non-surgical procedures have become especially when compared to replacing joints 
Hey, yeah, thanks a lot. And uh, I'm going to have you back on the podcast. Oh, my God. You know, a radiologist gives such perspective that we don't have um, usually uh, that uh, follows us uh, in the anesthesia world or physiatry world. Because uh, as an interventionist, you just look at things a little bit differently, don't you? Yeah, that's true. I mean, most of my colleagues are physiatrists, anesthesiologists, and orthopedists. And it's just a different perspective. I think I've learned a lot more from people in other specialties and I've learned from people in my own specialty that's for sure all right awesome cooperative effort thanks Dr. Beal thanks I appreciate it Francis Riegler is here he's the president of the American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians we're in the lab and Francis is kind of rounding out his year and look forward to following him but he's big shoes to fill how was your year so far it's been productive and a lot of work yeah, I, I've, all kinds of issues. Yeah, I've been there. Yes, <laughs> so, yes. but um, no, you've done a really good job, and it's so neat uh, to see you uh, move toward. I guess you'd call the sunset of your professional career, but you're going into the fun stuff. What are you going to be doing when you get out? Uh, well, after I finish my career practicing medicine, I'm going to get on a boat and I'm going to head out to the wild blue yonder. Awesome. And so, okay. Tell me some highlights and lowlights, uh, being president of American Society, and uh, what you would see in the future for this organization or any pain organization uh, to be contemporary, move forward, and move through the challenges. Like, we've got an opioid crisis now. We've got uh, access to care crisis. What do you see? Well, you know, the highlights are really the opportunity to work with the people who are already here in the society. You know, it's not just one person, it's a team. And we got a great bunch of people to work with. Uh, the low points really come with all the challenges. Um, you know, to take, for example, the opioid epidemic. Um, pain management physicians are appropriately uh, being looked at very seriously. Um, and sometimes the pendulum can swing too far in one direction or another. Well, I think it already has, unfortunately. And uh, the American society is responded to this and we've done so for over a decade we were looking at uh, milligram morphine equivalents a long time ago and we were doing opioid guidelines a long time ago looking at outcomes and you've been a part of that haven't you absolutely yeah we we published our first opioid guidelines what in 2005 2006 something like that yeah something like that so ahead of the curve we are uh actually it was before that but you know, we recognized that risk a long time ago, that something um, had to be monitored or something had to be followed for outcomes, and we developed those documents that are free on the web through the ASIPP.org website. Um, unlike so many articles, you can a- access these, and they're not a simple reading material, but you want to learn about opioids and controlled substances, that's where to find them. Um, so... What are you going to be doing in your last three months? Well, I'm going to be wrapping it up and getting it tuned up so I can hand it off to you, my friend. Thank you very much. Appreciate the tune-up. All right, man, I'll let you get back to your station. Thanks. Another part of the American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians meetings and gatherings is uh, the archive, the important archive that we get not only for our patients but as an instructional aid for uh, those that come to these cadaver courses. And and we're in one at the Kino Center today, and I have a special guest from PainCast. Tell us about yourself and what you do. 
Hi, my name is Maya Raj Andriatis, and I'm very fortunate to be here at the ACIP meeting in Las Vegas. Um, we are filming here the live cadaver workshops, and we uh, have a great relationship with ACIP where um, every couple of months we get to work with all these great doctors, um, learn and watch these doctors uh, teaching these procedures. Then we will um, upload them to PainCast where pain physicians can log in, learn and see how the procedures are done, and then they can see what they want to learn more about and go to the courses and learn for themselves. So it's really exciting um, that we're a part of this. So they're running around uh, with uh, technology to not only capture the procedure from masters, and there are masters here, um, but the archives are going to be probably something we'll continue to update but utilize for years because some of these techniques, they're great and they keep getting greater, don't they? They're absolutely wonderful. The doctors that they have here teaching these courses are um, just fantastic from all different um, uh, walks of life that have um, just new regenerative medicine that are teaching pain, interventional pain management, um, just wonderful, wonderful techniques that um, we're seeing a lot of old faces that are learning new, new uh, procedures, so it's exciting to see. Hey, thanks, and uh, keep, uh, keep up the work. I know you've got busy stuff to do, so I'll leave you alone. Thanks again. We're in the lab, and uh, we're just kind of wrapping up uh, a couple of really big stations. Uh, who's this? Um, uh, this is uh, uh, Frank Falco, a uh, pain uh, physician. I've uh, been doing this for 26 years. No, no, more than that. Let's see. Since 1995. How, how, how old does that make me? Uh, you're still young. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this? Uh, this is Dr. Shukdev Dara. I have a practice in uh, Manhattan and New Jersey. And um, I'm one of the earlier pain guys, too. I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, we're contemporaries. We're all, um, I guess, the older folks uh, in the pain world. What's your stations? Uh, endoscopic discectomy. Mine is endoscopic discectomy, too. Uh, it's a big uh, emerging way to take care of back problems. So we've talked about it on the po- podcast. But what you're doing is you're uh, passing the torch, so to speak, to others. How's it been going? I think it's going really well. I mean, there, there definitely is an enthusiasm amongst those who have uh, been here this, this this last two days, and we still have another day tomorrow. And uh, yeah, the, uh, we see it as uh, a better alternative than to other more aggressive uh, spine surgery. What would you tell um, physicians that are kind of on the fence with this procedure? Uh, you know, it's. Like, do I want to come to a cadaver lab and learn this? Or, I mean, why would I want to learn it? Well, I think uh, the main important thing is the need for this is for the patient side. Uh, Most patients do not want to have an open back surgery because they know the risks with an open back surgery. Most patients demand this procedure, and that is why this procedure is becoming very popular. As pain interventionalists, we are very used to putting in needles into precise diagnostic structures. So this is a natural um, procession for us. What else would you say? Um, I, I would say that, that uh, yes, patients, as they learn about this minimally invasive procedure, are going to demand it. Yeah. I know you got to get back to your station. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. All right, Francis, to uh, 
kind of wrap it up here, we've got this meeting coming up, the annual meeting, and uh, what are the dates? This is going to be our 20th annual meeting. It's going to be March 15th to March 17th in Orlando, Florida. All right, so bring the family, bring bring your dog, bring whatever, but get there. Um, what's going to be there? What's to see? You know, our last year's annual meeting, the 19th annual meeting, was in Las Vegas. It was our most highly attended meeting. We had over 1,000 registrants for that meeting. We're hoping for even more this year. And we have a tremendous lineup, as we always do, for all of our annual meetings. There's going to be sessions on public policy and its impact on pain management. We're going to be hearing research sessions, sessions on best practices, sessions on on uh, practice management, entrepreneurship, and, and the list goes on. Uh, you, 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 you can find virtually anything that has to do with interventional pain management at our annual meeting. Last year we had, uh, well... Rudy Giuliani, that was a really great was talk. Keynote speaker. And uh, who are the other keynotes? Uh, this year coming up, uh, Bob Lashevsky is one of our uh, main speakers. He's giving the healthcare policy lecture. Um, and we have other people, distinguished people in research, who are doing, I think, the Manchukanti lecture. Yes, we do. And uh, it's going to be uh, sad to say goodbye to you, but uh, we certainly will be seeing you around still. Oh, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I hear that. So, what else about the meeting? Anything else? It's just a tremendous opportunity for people to get started with ASIP. That's really how I got started with ASIP, was I attended my first annual meeting back in the early 2000s. And as soon as I sat down in that meeting and I saw the people and I heard what was being said, I, I knew I was home. And I've really never looked back. Exactly. And I say this a lot, but it's like plugging your head in a light socket, isn't it? It absolutely is. Yeah. And drinking from a fire hose, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get it done. We'll see you there. Okay. See you there. Well, there you have it. I mean, <laughs> doesn't get better than that, does it? Uh, really a high-quality instruction and some uh, great pearls and just good fellowship had by all. Please come to some of these meetings. I'm, I'm just thrilled to be part of it. And we do it two or three times a year. Go to ASIPP.org, and you can check it out. Uh, you, you can see that where these meetings are. You pick your regional meeting and uh, come interact we're completely accessible we just love uh, the interaction and the opportunity uh, to share Uh, we learn as instructors as much as you learn and I I, I take away something every time I go to one of these training sessions uh, every single time so come on you know keep involved with ASIPP.org We have our annual meeting coming up, and please check that out. It's in March, and I'm happy to say it's our 20th year. Think about that, 20 years. And organizations like this that thrive for 20 years uh, have value, and uh, they deserve every bit of support we can give them. So thanks again. I'm going to see you on the other side, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
Well, there you have it. I mean, <laughs> doesn't get better than that, does it? Uh, really a high-quality instruction and some uh, great pearls and just good fellowship had by all. Please come to some of these meetings. I'm, I'm just thrilled to be part of it. And we do it two or three times a year. Go to ASIPP.org. And you can check it out. You can see that where these meetings are. You pick your regional meeting and uh, come, interact. We're completely accessible. We just love uh, the interaction and the opportunity uh, to share. Uh, we learn as instructors as much as you learn. And I, I, I take away something every time I go to one of these training sessions. Uh, every single time. So... Come on, you know, keep involved with ASIPP.org. We have our annual meeting coming up, and please check that out. It's in March, and I'm happy to say it's our 20th year. Think about that, 20 years. And organizations like this that thrive for 20 years uh, have value, and uh, they deserve every bit of support we can give them. So thanks again. I'm going to see you on the other side, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.